0: Let us continue our worship by singing, or rather by reading, from the book of Job as well as the book of Proverbs, turning in our Bibles this afternoon to Job chapter 12, as well as to Proverbs chapter 30, and we're going to consider this Afternoon, the four animals that we'll read of in Proverbs 30. But first, a few words from Job 12, and we'll begin reading at verse 7. There, Job says, But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth. And it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear test words, and the mouth taste its food? Wisdom is with aged men, and with length of days understanding. Then, turning also to Proverbs chapter 30, and we'll begin reading at verse 24. Proverbs 30, starting at verse 24. And this will also be the text for the sermon. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong. Yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. Thus far. Beloved congregation, we turn this afternoon, as I already indicated at our Bible reading, to a section of God's Word that teaches us through little creatures. Children, we might think that if we're going to learn something from God's Word, if we're going to learn something from the animal kingdom, we would take big animals. Think of the grizzly bear. What lessons we could learn about boldness and about fearlessness. Or think of a lion. Again, an animal that is known as the king of beasts. Surely we would put forth animals like this. We can learn something from them. But here in these verses, Solomon and God through him uses other words, other animals, Actually, Agar, not Solomon. Agar, the son of Jacob, he, he, he wrote this, and he says There are four things, four creatures, which are little, small in size. They're small in strength, they're insignificant. They don't rank with the grizzly bear or with the lion. They're not really animals to be reckoned with. They're weak. And yet, although they be weak, although they are little upon the earth, they have something. Something that we can all learn from them. Each one of these four, they are exceedingly wise. You could translate, they are wisely wise, doubly wise. They're overflowing with wisdom. I read somewhere that this word in Hebrew has to do with a mastery of the art of living in accordance with God's expectations. In other words, of these little four creatures, we could say they've got it. They've got it. They've got a handle on true living. Each in their own way, as we'll see. So small, yet so wise. Our theme this evening is little but wise. And we begin with the ants. The ants, we're told, are a people, not strong. Now, if you were to do a quick Google search, you could discover that an ant can lift anywhere between 10 to 50 times its own body weight. I mean, you try that. You take a man who's 200 pounds, can't pick up 2,000 pounds, let alone 50 times his weight. An ant can run 800 times its body length in a minute. That would be like a six foot, 200 pound man lifting between 2,000 to 10,000 pounds and running 90 kilometers an hour. That's astounding. Ants wouldn't be that weak if they were our size. The only problem is they're not our size. They're tiny, and you can step on this power lifter without even realizing it. That's why they're weak. Very tiny creatures, very tiny strength compared to us. They're weak. But there's something about the ants that shows their wisdom. Yet, we read, they prepare their food in the summer. They prepare their food in the summer. The ants, they do something that many other animals do not do. Other animals enjoy the summertime breeze and the warmth, and and when the frost hits, they're dead. They're gone. Mosquitoes, butterflies, dragonflies, all kinds of different animals. But the ants, they spend all summer packing away food into their dens, and when the frost hits and the snow comes and the cold comes, they disappear into their nests, and they stay nice and warm and fed all winter long. And these are the days and weeks in which they're popping up again all over, looking for food And they'll pack that food away again all summer long in preparation for the coming winter and rainy season. They're preparing for the future. They're laying up for the future. They think ahead. They work while it is day. They use the opportunities that they have to prepare themselves for the future that they know is coming. And they recognize something. We're not strong enough to weather the upcoming winter without preparation. They're not strong. They recognize that they're not. They don't have it in themselves to survive what they know is coming. And so they prepare. Well, do you see the lesson? It's a glorious gospel lesson right in the tiny ant. We must learn from the ants to prepare for the future. Even as you're sitting here and as I'm standing here, we have the word of God preached to us. We can read the Word of God. The Lord says to us, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. The Lord has given every one of us time to spiritually prepare for what we know is coming. He's given us time to prepare to meet him, our just judge, And we're living right now in that time of preparation. And just as the ants don't wait until the first frost, you shouldn't wait either. Don't wait until the first signs of the frost of old age or failing health. Prepare today. Seek the Lord today. Because just as the time of preparation for the ants will draw to a close, so will yours. Their time is limited, and they know it. Our time is limited, and we know it. They prepare. Do you? Well, you say the ants recognize they're not so strong. They're weak, and they can't survive a coming season without being prepared, and so they do that. But what about you and me? Are we so strong? No, we're weak too. We can't survive the coming judgment without being prepared. We just sang those words None shall stand unscathed and blameless in thy judgment just. Psalm 130. Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We can't stand before God as we are by nature. We are lost. We are helpless. You and I could never endure the day of God's reckoning. And so we need to prepare. And therefore, let us prepare. Learn this lesson from the end. Do you seek the Lord by reading his word? Are you turning from sin? Are you making preparation? Do so so that you won't have to say, the summer is ended and the harvest is past, and we are not saved. Then we also learn wisdom from the rock badgers, also known as rock hyrax. These little animals are about the same size as a large rabbit. They've got a short tail and short, round little ears. And again, the remarkable thing about these animals is that they are insignificant, these little rock badgers. They are, our text says, a feeble folk. They're feeble. They're, they're weak. And the Hebrew word is a negative They are not powerful. They are not strong. In other words, they're vulnerable. They're defenseless. They're not attackers like a mongoose or a mink. They can't dig into the ground like badgers as we know them because their feet are soft and padded. They're unable to really do much to defend themselves. But you know what's so amazing about these little furry creatures? Even though they don't have a lot going for them, they are wise. They're so wise. In their God-given wisdom, they make their houses, their dwelling places in the rocks. They've figured out a way to survive dangers. Many predators stalk them to catch them. Eagles fly to snatch them, but they scurry in amongst the rocks. Foxes are ever ready to hunt them, but when they dive into the rocks, they're inaccessible. They confound the fox and the eagle. The predators are so close, but they can't get to them, hiding in those immovable rocks. And here we find the wisdom that God has given these little creatures, congregation. They are weak, but they seek safety in that which is strong. They are weak but their hiding place is an impregnable fortress. They are safe there. Surely, once again, the lesson is clear for us. We are not powerful. We are not strong. We, too, are feeble. You might think, I'm pretty strong. I'm a young man. I'm I'm not that weak. Well, think of the wrath of God. Where can you hide from the wrath of God? Will the rocks help you like the hyraxes? Now men will cry out in the last day to the rocks and to the hills to cover them, but it won't help. There's no underground bunker deep enough to hide you from God. And yet there is a way for you to hide. There's a place where you can flee to to avoid the wrath of God and to again be brought into favor with God. You must flee to Christ. Specifically, you must hide behind the blood of Christ when His shed blood is applied to your soul, when you lay hold of the blood of that everlasting covenant and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins, then you'll experience the forgiveness of God and you'll be safe for all eternity. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Think of the trials of this life. So easily the circumstances of our lives can bowl us over. Troubles and trials come. The winds of difficulties whip up against you. What can you do? When the waves of affliction batter against you, when those storms whip up and bear down on you, on whom can you lean and depend? You're so weak in the face of such afflictions, such trials, but you can depend on the Lord. Just as those animals depend on the rocks, so we must depend on the Lord, our rock. Isaiah 32 says, pointing to Jesus, that a man shall be as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. In the Psalms we read the prayer of the psalmist that the Lord would put his feet upon a rock. And how the Lord is a rock for him, a rock of refuge and defense. We're so feeble, so defenseless, so vulnerable. But our strength, our strength is to be in the Lord. And these little creatures demonstrate that great wisdom for us. They're hiding in that which is strong. And there's something else they teach us, too. They never stray far from those rocks. Those little animals, you don't see them way out in the fields. They're never more than a couple of hops from the edge of the rocks. The further they go from the rocks, the more dangerous it becomes. You see the picture? The further you stray from the Lord, the more dangerous ground you're on. We are never to be far from the Lord, but learn from these creatures to be close to him. Still closer to thy side I press, for near thee all is well. And that the name of the Lord would be for every one of us, congregation, like that strong tower, the righteous run into it and are saved. Then we come to the third creature that is small and insignificant, the locusts. What do we read about them? Well, we're told the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. They all go forward together by bands. Such a small little creature. There's nothing to a locust. You've got a head, an abdomen, and a thorax. A couple of wings, six legs. Just a little bit of protein. No poison, no teeth to worry about, no spines, no stingers, no claws. Just a little harmless locust. You can step on it and it's gone. All by itself, that little locust is insignificant. Weak, but they're wise. They don't go all by themselves. They don't go one at a time. They go millions at a time. And they blacken the light of the sun. They can come so thick. Recently I saw a video of a man in Egypt. He was trying to stop some locusts. I don't think he was expecting to do much, but he was just trying to catch some locusts. A huge cloud of locusts, and he had a net, kind of like a fishing net, a butterfly net. And he's trying to catch locusts as they're coming through. And maybe he caught 200 locusts in his net, but the net effect of the whole thick cloud was nothing. He didn't put a dent in that cloud of insects. They band themselves together in ranks. What's the lesson for us. My dear Christian friend, you're not designed to go alone to this world. We need each other. The church needs one another. It's such a blessing, as the Lord also says in the Psalms. How good and how blessed it is when brethren dwell together in unity. There is that togetherness that's such a blessing. We need each other. In fellowship, to encourage one another, to encourage, to provoke one another, to love and to good works, Hebrews says. We worship together. We work together side by side in the Lord's kingdom. We help each other. We're there for one another. We pray for each other. Alone is no way for a Christian to go through life. You know, the Lord doesn't leave a Christian alone all his life. He will give other Christians. It may not be a megachurch. He'll give other Christians so that together they can go through life and be strengthened mutually. And maybe you're here tonight and you think, well, I don't really need other people. I don't need other Christians in my life. I kind of like it by myself. Well, that's not a biblical thought. We need each other. In yourself, you are weak. But God has brought us together in churches, as a church family. He brings his redeemed together, as Paul calls it, as the family of God in heaven and on earth. There's a collective power in the banding together of God's people. And the locusts teach us, as one man said, to band yourselves together in Christian fellowship so that like the coals in a fire all sitting together, you might glow more brightly. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The warmth, the light, the heat, together. Notice also, very important in this context, the locusts have no king. Bees have a queen, chickens have a pecking order, wolves have an alpha male, but locusts have no king. They're all equal. What a beautiful picture of fellowship among Christians. That's what we're to be like. In fact, Paul says, be ye subject one to another. That precludes and removes all fighting, all pride. There's no playing favorites. There's no being uppity. There's no thinking others are a bit lower than you. There's no presuming authority. We're called to esteem others better than ourselves. In love, preferring one another. There's no hierarchy among the locusts. They're all on the same level, just as the locusts. So we are to be equals under God. It doesn't matter what your calling is in this life. Your calling as a Christian makes you equal one with another. Now, there's a functional authority that the Lord gives and office bearers, and fine, but as such office bearers too, all equal before God. It's such a beautiful thing. You know why? Because humans like you and me were always prone to produce what? Look at the nations and throughout world history. What is it that we produce as human beings? We produce layers in society. We produce a caste system. We produce fiefdoms. We produce peasants class. We produce different classes and strata in society because we all think we're better than the other guy. But the gospel pulls right through that and levels. And all are equal before God, no king, but one, King Jesus. And it's under him that we live. In the unity, endeavoring to maintain the unity, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What a blessing it is when we have that. Well, the spider, the fourth one. The spider, we read, takes hold with her hands and is in king's houses. It's actually a tiny, despised little creature on the large, for the most part. Most people don't like spiders. But it finds its way into every house, and it does its work, and it makes a web. And along comes a cleaning cloth, and what happens to the web? It's completely cleaned away. And what does the spider do? All the work it did is gone. What's the spider say? What's the use? No, the spider takes hold with her hands and she starts all over again. She's persistent, she perseveres. Discouragement does not dampen her efforts. She might have to try something a hundred times, but on she goes. She will not give up. She takes holds with her hands, and she prevails. She's even in king's palaces. She will keep on going without giving up until she gets that web spun. There's a story of a man by the name of Robert the Bruce. He was a king in Scotland in the early 1300s. Medieval Scotland. Scotland. Robert de Bruce was fighting for Scottish independence from England. And this king, he was severely beaten in battle over and over and over again. And finally, he gave up. He said, it's no use. I'll never get Scotland independent. And one day, he was laying in his bed. So the story goes... And as he was laying there, he was watching a spider at work. And she tried to string her silk line from one side of the room to the other. And she tried over and over and over again. And he watched her. And she tried 12 times. And each time she fell down and she failed. But then on the 13th time, she succeeded. He's laying there and he's watching this and he says to himself, if the spider has such persistence, so shall I. And he went out and in 1320, Scotland had asserted itself as an independent kingdom, making Robert the Bruce the father of Scottish independence. Well, that story teaches us too, doesn't it? The value of persistence. The spider shows us, don't give up. Maybe you feel like a failure sometimes. Maybe you feel like whatever it is you're trying to do is of no use. Maybe you feel like it's time to quit. What is the Lord teaching you and me through the little spider? Patiently, persistently, and prayerfully persevere. Persevere. How easily we fall back down and we fall back down and we fall back down and we grow despondent. It's true in spiritual life, you know. We're not spiritual supermen. We're so weak. And the devil is so strong and he has a target on your back as a Christian. And you fall down, and you fall down, and you fall down, and you say, what's the use? No, says Micah. This is what you should say. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Now, what is the great motivator to pressing on in the Christian life? Hebrews 12 teaches us. Looking unto Jesus. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and this sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it begins to talk about Jesus. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For, he goes on, verse 3, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. He, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Think of him. In working out salvation, he persevered. He never gave up. He prevailed. And so all his people will one day prevail in him. Oh, the road may be difficult. It may feel like an uphill battle at times. But he has promised to make you more than conquerors through him that loved us. So that you, child of God, can say through him, through him alone, whose presence goes before us, We'll wear the victor's crown, no more by foes assaulted. We'll triumph through our King, by Israel's God, exalted. Amen.